Welcome to the third episode of Time Limit. This is the podcast focused on making the most of our limited time on our projects. Today we have myself, Nathan, from Team Gantt, and we've got John from Team Gantt. Howdy. And we also have our good friend, Brett Harned. Hello. So today we want to dig into a little bit about estimating projects, and we've got a lot of good conversation coming up around that. But first, we want to talk to you, Brett, a little bit about your background and just help everybody get to know you a little bit and your background and why you've been uh, so passionate about project management and building community around that. Sure. Sounds good. Can you start with just telling us how you got started in project management? Yeah, I think um, I was probably managing projects all along. My first job out of school was with a startup where I was doing a lot of things. I was hired as an editor, turned into a producer, and that meant that I was directing motion capture video shoots and writing flash movies and writing HTML pages and writing content. So kind of being a jack of all trades really early on, I think, helped me. Then as I moved through my career, um, I I worked in an agency for a while where I was kind of the hybrid. Uh, account manager slash project manager, but my title was account director. I was then recruited by Razorfish as a project manager, and I actually had to have them explain to me what a project manager was because I was doing all of that work already, but it was far more intense at Razorfish because they're such a, a large publicly traded organization. So from there, I went on to work at Happy Cog, which is a web design agency in Philadelphia. And that's kind of where I was encouraged more to write a about project management and talk about project management. And um, interestingly, it was a good time in my career because I was inspired to get back into writing, which I love doing. And then that turned into more opportunities for me. So I um, started speaking at events and, and doing a little bit of um, community building in Philadelphia. I started a, what we call DPM Philly, which is a, a local meetup that has, I think, close to 300 members now, which is just crazy when I think wow. about that. Um, and then the company I was working for started to take on events. And I had been to a lot of conferences on design and code and content strategy, but I never never felt like there was a conference for me specifically. So I went to my boss and said, I think we could do this thing. And then a year later, we put on the first digital PM summit for 150 people, which was a sold out crowd at that time. Now, six years on, um, we're selling like over 300 tickets a year and moving it around from city to city every year. So it's, it's pretty, it's been pretty amazing for me. Like I feel really lucky to do what I'm doing to talk about a topic that is um, definitely needs more discussion. I think we're only part of the way there. I think a lot of people when they come to the Digital PM Summit, they're just amazed that there are other people out there doing the work that, that they're doing. So um, I think it's awesome that you guys have started this podcast. I feel like there's an audience out there for it and there's lots of valuable topics to cover. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So what what was some what's the time frame on some of this? Like when did you first start managing projects? When was that? I mean, I guess in my first job, I was really managing projects. I wasn't a project manager. Um, You know, there were timelines, especially when you're organizing like video shoots, like pulling together all of the details on that and keeping things in check. I mean, that was back in like 1999. My first formal PM role was probably around 2003, 2004. But but really, like when, when I think about it, like I've really been doing all this stuff all along, just on different levels, you know, like being being an official PM, like, of course, the role is amped up to 100%. And you're doing like a lot more in the realm of PM. But I really think like the, the principles and the characteristics apply all throughout my experience. 
Yep. And then when you went to Happy Cog, mm-hmm. you actually at some point earned the title of VP of Project Management, correct? Right. Yeah. So I was hired as Happy Cog's second PM. The PM that they had there, uh, Dave DeRucci, he's an awesome guy. He was a little more technical than me. I came from more of a creative background, so they wanted that balance on the team. And then he and I worked together to really kind of like transform some of the practices. Eventually, I took over in a director role and started to hire a team and then eventually became VP, I think, within like the last two years of me being there. So the Digital PM Summit that you started has been very, very successful. And not only that, but you guys have also started doing other events around that. Is that right? some other meetups and and different kinds of camps and everything for for groups of people? Yeah, so the Bureau of Digital is run by Carl Smith um, now, and it really started with the camp events, and the camp events are these kind of retreat-like gatherings where um, people actually apply to attend the event. Carl reviews their application and then decides whether or not they'd be invited. Um, so he's really doing a good job of curating the group that's in the room. So if you think about what what the event setup is, it's two and a half to three and a half days of moderated conversation. So essentially, there's kind of like a UN style setup. Um, we've got like our own set of microphones um, and a system for moderating. We pull the, the people who are coming to the event beforehand, asking them what their challenges have been, what kind of questions they have, and then we build kind of... Uh, an agenda around that. So people that are coming to the event are actually getting the answers that they need um, and getting inspiration from other people at the table through just really kind of like conversation and then networking, group dinners, things like that. I'm always amazed at how excited people are when they leave our events. And I'm sure it's like this for any event organizer, right? Because there are people who just go to events and and end up loving them. But it's really cool to see people who feel like they've gotten like real value out of something. Um, and, And that seems to happen every time. Yeah. Well, anytime you can connect people that are in the same similar situation and they can all compare notes and share ideas. Absolutely. And get excited. Uh, Especially because we're we're focusing on the communities that don't have a, a really big community, um, if that makes sense. So it's not just like a general UX yeah. thing, right? Like it's very focused. So we do it a digital project management camp and that's just like a really focused version of the digital PM summit. Yeah. And you do one for owners, right? Like owners of agencies? Yeah. Owners, uh, operators. Operators, business development. There's one for design leadership specifically. So, you know, kind of taking that management angle to it. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. kind of a, a part of it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's awesome. So if anybody is interested in attending one of these, they should look up Bureau of Digital and check out the PM Summit the on, on all the camps and see if there's anything that's of interest to you because these are really good events. We've attended uh, a few of the PM Summits and they're awesome. Uh, they really are good. So... Brett and Carl have done a great job in building that community and and executing these events. And then also the last five years or so, you've been doing your own business as a digital PM consultant. Yeah, so um, I've been working with a number of like digital agencies, also internal teams within companies and product companies, just to help them with their project management challenges. Um, you know, it's pretty consistent that people have challenges with project management because I think, especially in digital, it's still kind of a new role. It's something that, you know, people have been doing all along, but people are trying to figure out the best processes, the best ways to communicate, you know, lots of challenges within just those couple of things that, that come up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I've been spending my time on. 
That's awesome. So yeah, we really wanted to go through that background to give everybody a sense of who you are and just how connected you are in the community. You've managed projects for almost 20 years now. You have built a big community around this and you're just always talking to project managers. So that's really why we want to have Brett on this podcast is to uh, to be able to get his opinion on what he's hearing and what he's talking about these days. So Let's get into today's topic about estimating projects. First thing we want to talk about is why is project estimation so hard? Yeah, I think um, the first thing is people hear the word estimate and they think right away like, dun, dun, dun. (laughs) It's got to be set in stone. It's something that's like really important and it stresses people out. So I think that's that's always a problem. But there's lots of reasons why an estimate should be done and why, you know, you should communicate the fact that it's not always going to be perfect or or on point. I also think it can be really difficult to accurately estimate a project. So in a lot of the work that I do with um, digital agencies, you know, it's coming up with practices to properly estimate on the task level. So if they're they're looking at doing a a big project, like how do we decide how we're going to tackle this project and then essentially price it? Um, Same difference for an internal team. Like, you know, we want to do this project or somebody from up high is saying we have to do this project and we need to figure out how long it's going to take so that we can tell higher ups basically how much it's costing the organization and whether or not it's worth the return. Um, And I think those two things are really stressful, right? Because it's like justifying a job on the in-house side in in some cases, and it's justifying a cost or risking the fact that you might not win a project because you've over or underestimated something. And I think those those things lead to more problems because, you know, stress just leads people to not think as clearly as they should. And I, I think along the lines of like, technical estimation it's just really difficult like you unless you really know exactly what you're building um and you've got consistent staff to do that and you've got a history like you're not going to always be right with your estimates and i'm sure that you guys have found that too on team gantt that you'll take on a new feature and it might not be exactly what you expected in the beginning fast forward a couple of months and you're you're way beyond where you thought you'd be it's, it's funny, we were literally talking about that this morning. So John heads up uh, our development team here, and uh, we've got a feature we're working on right now. John, if you want to talk about that and just the difficulties you see with uh, estimating technical projects. Yeah, I think I think for us, it's, you know, there's a there's a lot of factors that get involved into, you know, coming up with an estimate and then, you know, sort of handling it when when things are different. Uh, we're doing a big rewrite right now. And, and one of the big pieces that we're working on is uh, refactoring just the whole list view portion of Team Gantt, uh, new, new everything basically from the ground up. And, you know, sometimes you just you run into things where, you know, as a uh, as a PM, sometimes I don't fully spec things out. Uh, so scope can get a little misinterpreted. Uh, you run into some hidden uh, complexities. Like one big thing for us that's been a hang up for a little while uh, has just been drag and drop uh, to, to reorder your your list. And uh, sort of what seems potentially simple on the surface, there's uh, just so many... Uh, so many different possibilities of where you know a task or a group can fall when you reorder it, uh, and there's just there's a lot more to it than it's on the surface. And we've tried a few different approaches that uh, haven't really worked out. So uh, we did what I think was a was a great move is uh, the past three days we met up uh, three of us, sort of the three that have been working on Listview, and uh, just got together in person uh, and really hashed everything out and. Uh, so we came up with an approach that uh, I feel is going to be the best of, of everything. We sort of experimented uh, with some built-in libraries, uh, but they've none of them really worked the way we needed to. So uh, you know we're kind of resetting the clock a little bit here and uh, doing it ourselves. 
Yeah, so that's that's a good example of something that we thought would take a certain amount of time, but ended up taking a, a good bit more just because of the hidden complexities. And that's, I think, always happening with technical projects. I think everybody knows that. Um, just very, very hard to, to estimate. So what are some of the common mistakes you guys see with estimating projects? A common mistake that I see is that people just jump right into an estimate without asking questions. You know, like you can't just estimate something on face value. Like you you have to ask a lot of questions about goals and intentions and what the intended outcomes are going to be. If you're working with stakeholders, you have to ask about their involvement in the project, their availability for the project, because those kinds of things can really affect your your scope, but also your your timeline. Um, So I, I think definitely like jumping in and being thorough about what this thing is that you're actually estimating is a conversation you should have first. Beyond that, sometimes it's overthinking, right? It's trying to apply a specific process or deliverables to something that you're just not sure you'll actually take on. Um, So you can end up with an estimate that might not feel right. I know in my kind of agency life, that happened all the time. Like we would ask all the questions. We still would have like a general sense of what the project would be. We'd jump into creating an estimate and say, all right, we're going to do all of these things. Here's our estimate and related costs. Then we get into the project, do a little bit of discovery to get to know stakeholders and get to know what the project really is, and then completely change our scope, but try to keep it within the boundaries of what we estimated. So we were just like shuffling numbers around. Um, and that's where things get tricky and can go off track really easily. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would say on top of that is, you know, saying that I, I say a lot is it's an estimate, not an exact. So sometimes people just, you know, you really want to try to find that perfect estimation. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's just an estimate. Uh, you're not trying to be perfect. So, you know, don't like Brett says, don't overthink it, but also don't take it at face value either. Sort of do your due diligence, but understand you're just making an estimate and that it's not an exact I think you're right. I think you don't have to be exact. But I do think another mistake people make in estimating is that they don't try to get a little more granular. So I think that a good practice is sitting down and thinking at a task level or like a group of tasks level. Even if you think about building a plan in Team Gantt, if you're building out a group of tasks and there are subsequent tasks underneath, each of those tasks has some kind of estimate associated with them, right? And I like to think of estimates in that way. So if I'm thinking about, for instance, building out a set of wireframes, I'll come up with all of the steps that I know will need to go into building those wireframes up to completing and getting an approval on them and assign time estimates to each of those. And then I feel a little more confident that maybe it's not going to be exact, but at least we've done the thinking that gets us to the process. So I've got those time estimates for each step that then kind of translate into a timeline in some way. And to me, that's really really helpful. I also think a a mistake people make is like not learning from the projects that they've done in the past. So if those estimates weren't exact, do you have some kind of way of saying like, okay, so this is how much time it does take for the next time around? Do you guys do anything like that? Like using like retrospectives or time tracking or anything like that to kind of gut check your your previous estimate? Yeah. Yeah. We have a, we actually have a feature in Team Gantt. It's called Baselines. And this is something a lot of people don't know about, but when they find out about it, they get really excited. So basically when you start your project, you do your initial plan and you can mark a baseline and it basically puts like a little thin gray bar for each task. And it kind of takes a little snapshot of your project. So then two months later, you could compare where you're at 
that versus your baseline or at the end of your project to your baseline. And you can kind of see what happened and then you can learn from that. And that is super valuable. Learning from your previous projects and your previous experience, you can then make better estimates going forward. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think to connect the two dots there with the baselines and with retrospectives, uh, our dev team here, we do uh, sprint retrospectives every two weeks, sort of the day before a sprint ends. And we've got our, our schedules in Team Gantt as well that we work off of. So I'll take a snapshot of the project for the baselines at each retrospective. So we're able to see sort of how how the project is growing, what things are we faster on than we initially thought and what things take longer than we initially thought and able to accumulate all of this data to make ourselves, make our estimates more accurate. That's awesome. I think that's absolutely the way to do it. If for nothing else, like just knowing that you can learn from some of that old data and apply it to a future project if something similar comes up, like I think that's really valuable. All right, so what do what do you guys do when when a client or boss thinks it should be done faster? You've got your estimate, but someone else thinks it should be done faster. How do you balance that? So when someone is asking for something to be done faster, it's usually because they don't actually understand what you're doing. Um, so I've come up with this a lot, both internally with stakeholders who just like feel like they need something done, they're not seeing enough progress, or with clients who just say they need something quickly because they're setting the deadline and they're paying for the work. And usually, like I said, it's they don't understand the work. So the first thing that you have to do is sit down and educate them about what the estimate is. And if you've got that kind of broken down line by line estimate, it's really easy to sit down and say, okay, so you want to have your wireframes done quicker. This is how we estimated it. This is the time that it takes. And this is how that translates into into a timeline. And when you're looking at the timeline aspect, you're also taking into consideration other work that people have going on, other deadlines that are in the way, you know, when you're working with a small team. So you're able to kind of lay things out in a way that makes a little more sense to them. And how I would usually end that conversation, or at least try to advance that conversation to to my like sticking to that estimate or timeline is to say we can talk about doing this faster but I think we'll have to remove some time we'll have to remove some steps from this and I worry about the quality of that but we can do it if you feel like that's really necessary. And usually when you educate someone and put them on the spot like that, um, or you even say, we might have to add some uh, budget or scope to the project, they'll usually drop it and let you move on. Unless it's like a deadline where something is like a your project is dependent on something else. Like I've worked on website redesign projects where it's tied to like a media campaign or a live event or something where you just cannot move it. So at that point, the conversation turns into the timing is is this and we can't we can't change it and we have to be really rigid about deadlines. So I think, you know, it really comes down to like having a conversation about it. You can never say no not going to do it, um, obviously, especially if it's a, a boss or a client. But you can say no, but and this is why, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, what about the scenario where you're, you're in the project, it's going along and you're coming up towards the end and things don't look like they're going to finish on time and you're going to have that conflict where you, you want to protect your team because, you know, you know, your team's doing the best they can, but they're running into issues, but you have the client or the boss that's saying it's got to be done by this certain deadline. How do you handle that balance? Yeah, that's really a tough one. That's where it's kind of like the project manager's job to be looking forward on the project or ahead on the project to make sure that those issues aren't coming up. 
So, you know, doing a weekly assessment on where you are with your percent complete, hopefully putting that into a status report and being open and clear about, you know, where things stand on the project. And again, like educating along the way so that those stakeholders or bosses understand just how much time it takes or what problems people are running into, because that can also be an issue too. I think, you know, the inevitable will happen. Like if people just cannot figure work out, and I've been on projects like this with where developers are just having problems with like a new technology or working on like a really old technology that they, they have to catch up with, where things just take longer because they've got to get caught up and learn and do what they can to make something work. So yeah, you just you just have to keep open communication flowing about that and hope for the best, but also prepare them for the worst. Yeah, that makes sense. So I think sometimes it comes down to the fact that you'll just misestimate something, right? And you just have to deal with that. So John, I wonder, you know, as a, as a developer and someone who man manages a lot of developers, how do you handle that, that situation? I think a good chunk of it comes down to uh, owning your own estimate. Uh, so we do we do team-based estimating. So uh, you've got the protection of your peers who can sort of uh, watch for your blind spots and things you might miss. But at the end of the day, I, I think a lot of it comes down to owning your own estimate because if you're falling behind, you you sort of know it's your fault, um, and you're gonna you're gonna hold yourself more responsible to a deadline that you put on yourself or an estimate that you put on yourself uh, than you will if it's what someone else gave you. Yeah, I totally agree. One of the things that I love doing is using an estimate almost as a constraint, especially with designers. So Nathan, um, this might be something you can talk about, but I've been in situations where I've got a budget that feels like it's less than we need on a project for design. And I've been in situations where I'll like pass by a designer's desk and it just feels like they're standing, they're sitting there looking at their screen, looking at something thinking, which is totally a part of the job. And it's not something that I'm judging. But I'm also thinking, oh, man, that's like time's ticking away and it's not getting done. So like I've had the situation where I've sat down with someone and talked about constraints and how maybe for a first presentation, something doesn't need to be absolutely perfect. Um, I don't know if you've been yeah. in that situation or if you guys agree, but it's definitely a reality on projects. Man, I love the idea of constraints. Um, I think in a way constraints can help creativity. And it's just like uh, Parkinson's law, which we've talked about long before. Like if you don't have any kind of constraint, like the, the work will just keep going. <laughs> um, and that's that's the way it definitely is with design. You know, if, if I've got two weeks to work on design, I'll use a little over two weeks probably to work on that design, you know. But I know if I know I only have four hours, I'll do it in four hours, right? And like it might be not as good, but, you know, sometimes I think we can surprise ourselves what we can do with a, a limited amount of time. And then you do, you get something out the door. And there's always chances to iterate and improve, especially on designs and in software. I mean, it's it's software, right? It's not hardware. Like we can always iterate and improve. So absolutely. Yeah. It's like in that case, it's like an estimate is a budget and you're setting a budget for yourself on how long you can take to do something. Exactly. Do you guys have any, do you guys have any other last uh, tips? I feel like we've covered a lot on estimating here, but anything else that you guys want to add to this? I think constraints really are going to allow you to be more creative. You're going to know your boundaries. You're going to know your limitations. It's going to force you to be more focused. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just like kind of like we talked about before with having a financial budget, right? Even at home, if you have this financial budget, if you know you can only spend this much money on food this week or this much money on whatever it is, it forces you to be creative and it forces you to, to maybe think about it a little bit more and you can end up coming up with some pretty cool things. 
All right, so we want to end today with uh, with a question that's kind of related to this, and this is something I wanted to ask John specifically, and Brett, we're going to be asking you too, but this is about powering through a day. Uh, one reason I want to ask John this is because with working with him now for probably over 10 years very closely, I've always seen how he can power through a day. He can get so much done in one day and be incredibly productive that I think it'd be interesting to hear how he approaches that. So John, can you talk a little bit about your tip for just personal productivity to, to get through a day? I think a lot of it for me really comes down to like five key points. Uh, You need to know uh, what you're working on. Uh, You need to know why you're working on it. Uh, So sort of connecting those two, what I like to do at the end of every day, I like to look forward uh, and see, you know, what I've got coming up tomorrow. And then sort of that that brings me into the third piece uh, that's prioritizing the day. So I like to create a checklist for myself. Uh, You know, sometimes it's just the checklist is just in my head, but it's basically I'll take what I have to work on and I'll prioritize uh, what needs to be worked on. And then I'll, I'll, I'll prioritize them sort of for to answer the why question where, you know, you know, we know what we're working on sometimes, but sometimes we don't always know why. But when we do understand why, we do understand the priority and we do understand uh, the importance of it. So sort of connecting all three of those, I'll know what I'm working on, I'll know why I'm working on them, and then I'll have sort of like a, a run sheet almost of my day of things that that I need to get done. Uh, and then the next piece from that sort of continuing is I'll set goals. So I'll say like, hey, you know, I want to get to this point before I go to lunch or hey, I want to get to this point before I, you know, uh, sk- skim through my email or something like that. Like set yourself uh, attainable goals throughout the day uh, so that you can feel accomplishment and you, you sort of you're checking things off the list uh, and you can, you know, you can sort of feel that you're making that progress. Uh, and then the last piece, which is potentially just as important as all the other ones is limiting your distractions. Uh, you know, whether whether it's muting Slack, whether it's you know quitting your email so that you're not getting alerts every time an email comes in, uh, or putting your phone on silent, like just limit your distractions. They're gonna lead to context switching, uh, which isn't gonna allow you to get back into what you were working on with the same sort of momentum that you were carrying before. Yeah, I think that's. I think you make a lot of great points there, especially the context switching. That's something we've always really focused on here at Team Gantt is is trying to limit those distractions. One reason that we all work remotely is so that we can have that focus time without people interrupting us and without you know the questions and the, the walk by the desk interruptions and it's made a huge difference and one reason we've been able to do so much with a small team so brett what are what are your thoughts um, I totally agree with you on the context switching thing. It can really drag you down and make you less productive. I'm also big on unlimiting distractions. I actually just for the first time in probably like six months re-downloaded the Twitter app to my desktop um, because I felt like Twitter combined with Slack and things that are going on in Slack were just sucking all of my attention out away from the work that I yeah. needed to focus on. Um, so we'll see how I do with Twitter now. Like I actually don't even have it open. I've gotten used to not really using it, but realized like I kind of disappeared for a while. So I need to get back into it a little bit. But I think for me, like in terms of productivity, I kind of live and die by a to-do list. So right now I use an app called Wonderlist that is also can be used as like a shared to-do list. Um, So if I'm working with somebody directly, I'll share that with them and we can have like kind of updates on that progress. But, um, you know, I make, I, I switch back and forth. Like I'm one of those people that like tries new apps and then abandons and then ends up back into a notebook. But every day, like the first 10 to 15 minutes of my day is sitting down and organizing my thoughts and what I'm going to do so that then I can start crossing things off or checking things off on my list and feel good about making that progress. If I don't do that, and I've had days where I, I just jumped right into work, I don't feel as organized and I don't end up feeling as productive at the end of the day because I'm not tracking 
what I get done. So that's that for me, that's like a, a really big part of my day and how I'm prioritizing my work. Um, and same thing as like setting goals. Like I, I love John's idea of like, you know, setting a goal to get something done. And then your reward at the end is like a little break or a coffee or whatever it might be. Um, I might start trying that one. Okay, so if we were to summarize our conversation and tips on estimating, I think it would be one, you've got to recognize the fact that an estimate's always going to be an estimate, right? It's not always going to be set in stone. Second, when you approach an estimate, um, you've got to ask the right questions and take an approach that's going to get you to a place where you're as accurate as possible. I think also we talked about breaking things down on a level that makes sense. And then also we talked about learning, using project data and information and conversations you've had on previous projects to help you estimate further projects. Well, good. Well, that concludes the episode today. That uh, covers everything we wanted to talk about. We hope everyone is enjoying this. Uh, this is our third episode. So please let us know what you think. Please feel free to shoot us an email at timelimit at teamgant.com. And we really do want to hear your feedback. We want to hear what you think about the direction this should go. This is only the third episode, so I'm sure we will be shifting direction as we go. Uh, we really want to hear your feedback because this is for the community here. So please let us know. And thank you, everyone, for listening.